So, Matt, have you ever worked in the food yep. service industry? <laughs> oh, yes, I have. Wait, let, let's, I was before, a waiter for uh, two or three years. Oh, two or three years. What were you, what were you waiting? Uh, so, um, you know, back in Austin, uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend whose parents owned a, a Mongolian barbecue restaurant. And I, oh, I boy. worked my way up from busboy to waiter and, and uh, did that uh, until I was in college. All right, we got two topics now. One, uh, what the, my original <laughs> thing about food service industry, and two, the insider's guide to Mongolian barbecue. Let's start with the second topic. Here's what I, what's oh, the okay. what's the deal with those little breads that you get there? Like, what a, what am I doing with that? How does this fit oh, into the grand scheme? Well, you know how every culture has their tortilla, right? Yes. Um, and, and so the horde has one too. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that that's. That's the beauty of Mongolian barbecue is um, the I don't know how authentically Mongolian it was. Um, so we had uh, the kitchen staff was all uh, Central and South American. Um, and <laughs> the waiters would tell tell uh, customers that the uh, the cook, you know, working the big uh, inverted grill there, <laughs> they tell, tell people that he was Mongolian. <laughs> and when oh, people no. tried to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, and then he'd be like, "Pedale." <laughs> um, but the bread—I uh, don't know if they actually have that bread back in Mongolia or not. But it was, you know, it was kind of like a, a f- flour bread with some sesame seeds, uh, a lot like a pita bread. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it's good bread. It's like very dense. Yeah. It's it's almost like yeah. you know when when you're when maybe not you, but I remember and Cormac, my son, has done this a little bit. But when you're a kid. You, every now and then you want to make bread and you don't really like, you know, you think of bread as basically like flour and water and maybe an egg because uh, your dad doesn't insist on you making bread properly. And it comes out kind of like that Mongolian bread. And you always mm-hmm. add too much salt in it. But it's this very like flat, like you said, kind of like a flat pita bread. But the the bread I would get at the inverted shield place was always, it was good bread. And it had sesame yeah. seeds on it. I always like that stuff. Okay, okay. So second question. Now, I imagine you didn't eat there a lot, but like, what is your strategy for the Mongolian oh, grill setup? I ate there every shift. Mm. I ate there every single mm. shift. Mm. And this was before I was vegetarian. Whoa. Okay. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. So my, uh, my go-to was, uh, chicken with tomatoes and mushroom with some green onions. Mm-hmm. And we had this sauce that we called dark soy, but mm-hmm. it, in the back they had the, you know, the gallon, um, tens of, uh, it was called oyster sauce. Oyster um, sauce. Which, you know, <laughs> and we just called it a dark soy because oyster sauce sounds disgusting, right? Um, and and we'd cut that with, uh, what was it cut with? Some kind of oil, like, you know, maybe canola oil or, um, and then uh, threw in a bunch of hot sauce, you know, a mm-hmm. um, bunch of hot sauce, which was, we made our own and it was, uh, we get a whole bunch of jalapenos and some habaneros and just blend them up in a in a blender mm. um you know not not uh but they were mostly red so it wasn't jalapenos ah, anyway um so that you know they made the the hot sauce in the back uh i don't know how authentic that was or is uh and then um yeah it's just a bunch of sauces the uh the, the sweet and sour sauce was pineapple juice Mm. Uh, with with a with a ladle full of soy sauce, um, 
So yeah, you got this big, it's like if you imagine a shield, it's inverted and you got this buffet of meat and vegetables and sauce and you do, you pack all the raw ingredients into, into a bowl and then you yep. hand this bowl over to the fake Mongolian and they basically, <laughs> they throw yep. it, they throw it on this big shield and they kind of sit there with these gigantic um, sticks and they just kind of like fry it all together and then they let it sit there. Yeah. And then they kind of chop it up a little bit, and then they stick it in a bowl and hand it to you. And so, so my first question I, now, now one, I want to know what you would tell people about this because this is a this is a, a weird thing. But my first question is, my issue was always like, I was never sure if like all of this time I spent delicately putting in seasoning and flavoring, like I, it never, I don't think it really ever tasted like anything but just like you know fried stuff. Like so, how, yeah. like. Was I supposed to put like a cup of garlic in there? Like, how do I get a garlic taste on it and a ginger taste? Oh, yeah. Well, um, so so definitely everything just kind of tastes brown. Um, but but the key was uh, <laughs> well you had said. to make sure you, <laughs> you you needed to put a lot of liquid uh, because like it would just burn stuff pretty fast. And uh, yeah, if you wanted it to taste garlicky, you had to put a lot of garlic. And so back back to my my own recipe, it was uh, a lot of hot sauce, a, a lot of garlic, and mm. and so you know the next day I would just reek. It would yeah. I have garlic coming yeah. out of my pores, um, but it was so good. Uh, and then you know, if you had any sort of food sensitivities, that's not the place to go oh. because you know he's grilling like you know six or seven bowls of food at a time. And stuff's just falling into you know into each other's things, and so you you know when you get your bowl back, you'll be like, "I didn't put any beef in mine," or Ooh, you know, yeah, where yeah. where'd this broccoli where'd come this, from? Where'd right? this shellfish yeah. come from? Yeah, you know, I I I enjoyed Mongolian beef, but I want to suggest that if you have any sensitivities, don't go to a Mongolian beef place. <laughs> I mean, Mongolian grill. It's not, no. not going to work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But huh. it was uh, it was it was a good time. You know, um, that was that was before. Before they had the indoor smoking ban, so you know, mm. as a waiter, you'd always want to work the smoking section because uh, those people they were more likely to be drinking, and that's where the money was. I um, see. So, yeah, all sorts of secrets. Huh. Now, okay, this goes back to my original question. Now, which was, I was I'm here in London, just as as I usually am. Great, great. I love this. This is a great city. It's you know, it feels like my office now, uh, but. I was I was I was somewhere getting some food service. Oh, I know. There's a in King's Cross. There's a sushi place called Yo, and it's a conveyor belt sushi <laughs> place. And one, it has. I've eaten there twice today. Because let me just digress on, in my digressions. But it has it has this perfect. It has the perfect thing that I would want for a uh, for for a sushi thing, which is you don't not for a sushi any restaurant. Like basically, you don't have to talk to anyone. You can just put your headphones in and like listen to your Joan yeah. Didion podcast about you know Salvador or, or whatnot, and um, there's minimal interaction, right? Like you might want to order some miso soup or something, but there's really you don't have to talk with anyone the whole time. It's awesome. Anyway, so and oh, and also like randomly, they'll just be like these cheery Japanese people crying, like calling something out from the speakers. Uh-huh. Anyways. Uh, exactly. So I was, I'm, uh, I'm here in London. I was there at the food service thing and they seemed okay, but I, I kind of heard 
the uh, the the manager kind of speaking very directly, you know, to to other people. And I was thinking, like, you know, I've never worked in food service, but I feel like all of that, like, uh, you know, psychological safety kind of stuff just doesn't apply to the food service industry. <laughs> and there's just like. If there oh, if there was man. like if there was like a DevOps report of the food service industry, they would be like, "Don't need that fucking shit. Get these people to oh. do their goddamn job." Like the okay. high high, perfor- so, high performers have no psychological safety; they just get the work no. done. Which, oh my gosh. which so it sounds like from your action, this is sort of truish, but it does oh it God. does it does make me you know we take this so for granted that like you know people should be humane and civil at work. Because uh, we're in the tech world, but it seems like there's other types of work where that's not the case, which brings in oh, this whole no. like um, let's call it psychological safety relativism, uh, which I think is not a pleasant thought to have. But it does, you know, the thing the thing about b- doing a contrarian thought like this and introducing relativism is it's just another way of kind of exploring the uh, the topic, right? Like because it's easy <laughs> it's easy to conclude that you should do something because it is the one true path. It's like the truth of doing something. And everything else is a multiple-headed demon that's always eating its own poop, right? So, like, we don't want to eat our own poop. So we should do the thing that's true and good. There's really no reason to explain it. But if really it's just relativistic and there are certain situations and, and environments and setups that you should be doing these things because in those environments they're good. That means you have a more richer, interesting problem set to look at than just some sort of um, angelic, I don't want to, like, burn in the mouth of a demon for all of eternity kind of uh, motivation. But you're telling me food service industry, not very cuddly. Uh, no, 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 no. So the uh, the the guy, the owner or manager. Um, I mean, so so restaurants. That's a lifestyle, right? So the mm. if if you're owning this business, you know, you're there crack of dawn. You know, you got to get everything ready for opening at you know ten thirty or eleven or you know whenever they open in the morning. So you got to get there an hour and a half or two before. Um, and we would be open. You know, officially it closed at 10, which, you know, I'm sure like some countries that's just crazy. Uh, we would have, we'll just call them regulars um, who would show up around, you know, 10, 15, 10, 30 and, you know, stay late. Uh, what? Wait, who who is a regular <laughs> of a Mongolian grill? Well, so <laughs> this is where I learned about organized crime. So that's... <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay. Oh my gosh. So there, there, there's, there's, there's your, uh, your summary. Um, Geographic oddity, uh, Mongolia. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you know, so the owners and managers, they were there most of the day, right? And um, uh, it was, it was a hard life. And the, the family, like they were um, Chinese by way of Taiwan. The owner had fought under Chiang Kai-shek. And, Whoa. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he had some stories. Um, he was, you know, he was fluent in, in English and uh, and at least Cantonese and Mandarin and definitely Spanish. And he knew how to curse a blue streak and all of them very well. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, you learned how to always uh, stay busy, even if, you know, no, res- no you know, the. Uh, there was one time the restaurant was dead, you know, maybe one table during, you know, late end of a lunch shift and kind of the waiters were sitting around by the bar and uh, he comes up and he's like, you know, why aren't you working? And one of the other bus boys is like, there's nobody here, man. He's like, the toilets need cleaning. Right? <laughs> so, 
Um, I see. You learn to always look busy if you weren't at least busy. So uh, this I was like perfect training for corporate life. It sounds oh, like. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. You learned how to. Uh, we found to the secret of your success, Matt Ray. It all started at the uh, Mongolian Grill. It. it well, before that, I, I had a paper route. So that's uh, that's one of those jobs where like you have to show up and do the job because nobody else is going to do it, and the hours kind of suck, but the pay was good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I, I I guess I got uh, a work ethic from you know jobs that uh, didn't have a lot of flexibility. Um, there was the time that uh, uh, I guess ice. Um, came and took away the entire kitchen staff. Whoa. <laughs> you know, this, this, I, I wouldn't call this a comedy podcast, Matt Ray, but we try to keep the tone light here. That's, that's yeah, some serious yeah. shit. Huh. Um, and, and so, you know, every waiter, uh, you know, who uh, was an American or had, you know, the right papers um, got called up and we all ended up working in the kitchen. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So I, I cut, uh, you know, I learned how to use the meat slicer. Um, I learned how to, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that, uh, the guys in the back used to do, I got to do for, for a couple shifts until and th- this you know, is, this hard, is why, you know, you know, the secret of the dark soy sauce. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, I, you, you, you learn those secrets. Um, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. So, you know, there was, there was hiding in the meat freezer. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Man, I feel like I, I feel like I could talk. I, I have a lot of stories of my my time at the Mongolian barbecue. I don't know what that means. There was hiding in the meat freezer. Well, here's 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 what you know. We've got it. We've got a great uh, active little Slack community. Uh, which if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find out how to log in there. Here's what I want to ask the Slack community. Someone needs to explain oyster sauce now. I don't know if it originally had oysters in it, if it's for oysters, or what the deal is, but. I, I you know at least in American Chinese food, oyster sauce is I think one of the four to five primary condiments, right? You got soy sauce, of course. You've got sweet and sour sauce. I don't know if they still do this anymore, but you got sweet and sour sauce, and then you have um, basically oyster sauce. And if you go to like, at least last time I was around, if you go to like a nice Vietnamese place uh, or or even a nice Thai place, and they have kind of like the buffet of sauces. Then there's usually oyster sauce on there, uh, and um, I'm not sure what the deal with oyster sauce is. I mean, it's damn delicious oyster sauce and all all the American Chinese things. And I only say American Chinese because I have no idea if they're Chinese Chinese. Uh, but boy, they're, probably not. They're delicious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably not. You know, our our uh, <laughs> our Taiwanese. Um, Mexican fusion of Mongolian barbecue Ooh. would probably attest that it was it was an American experience. Taiwanese Mexican street food. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, you know, last week, so we talked about uh, there was KubeCon, and uh, we got yeah. we got we got Chris over there sent over some nice demographics. Now it would be responsible for me to go look it up, but I remember when I looked at that chart he sent, it seemed like a pretty nice balance between developers and operators. So, so yeah, it looked like, you know, just as follow-up, there was a pretty good split between developers and operations types at the conference, which yep. uh, which is fun. And then there were a few other, um, as is the case, there were some write-ups that we found. You know, people went back. They they wrote some things up, some trip reports. And uh, there's a little series from uh, from Red Monk that's kind of what you might call the uh, 
it'll give you a sense of being at the conference, little things that were happening here and there, and some some links to stuff. And now there was there was one one write up. I don't know who it was from, but it even had some networking diagrams and some discussion of GitOps and uh, oh, like Calico and things like that. And now now it, another another slight uh, uh, side conversation. Now 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 this this GitOps concept, Matt Ray. From mm-hmm. what from what I can tell, GitOps now means I check code in or whatever the fuck you call it in Git. I, I the code is in the version control, and this kicks off an automatic build process, which eventually automatically deploys to production. Is that is that what the GitOps is? That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, so you know, everything has to be code. Yes. And then uh, you know, just get people used to the idea of like. I commit something, it's going to go through a lot of tests, hopefully, and uh, end up in production eventually. Now, do you think Do you think we're coming to the great settling of terminology where, like, people are just going to start saying GitOps when they mean continuous delivery driven by checking in code or PR in code or whatever the fuck people do? What What do you call it? What, what do people, what do the kids call that nowadays? Uh just everything is code, right? And, oh no, yeah, no, no. but I mean, I mean, like CSV. when 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 I, when I check in my code, what is what is that called? Yeah, committing your code, checking it in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got it, Cote. Not not a lot of uh, mystery. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, you know, I mean, these terms change every now and then, like, like, uh, like. Yeah, like, but okay. they they come back around. I mean, I I don't know if I guess the subtle distinctions between GitOps and CI/CD are well, you're going to be using Git. You're going to be using a master branch. It's kind of like you know SRE being a refinement of of some of the DevOps stuff. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, GitOps is just a you know master branch pattern of everything as code and CI/CD. And then and then I was reading there was a there was a good write up in, in that it was lengthy and had a lot of quotes of the uh, the 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 new the new Red Hat gang was over there on a yacht oh, yeah. or a boat. And I think I think I forget the exact wording, but the author, and he's he's that author I recognize who is not the open source author. You know, over at ZDNet they have that open source <laughs> guy, but this is the other person. Not, writes, not Matt Assay. Yeah, no, no, not Matt Assay, but anyways, he's there's there's the guy who always writes about open source who has a be- black beard and glasses, and this, you know, what I should do is just click on this link that's right here in front of me. Anyways, in that uh, in that article. He sort of like it's Scott Fulton the third. Oh, that's why I know him because he used to work for the new stack. Um, but he at some point is like cloud native, which just means put running your software in containers and and basically Kubernetes. So I feel like I feel like we got GitOps. Oh, here we go. If if you hear the term cloud native bandied about like an ice cream flavor, that's what it actually means. Which previously he said a way for enterprises to pool together the servers they already own integrate resources from the public cloud and deploy applications built for the system directly from source code. So you could, you could, uh, you could substitute, I don't know what directly from source code means, but you could substitute directly from source code with GitOps, And then you could say cloud native is pooling together all your resources from public and maybe even private cloud and using GitOps to update your code. That's that's what cloud native is, and maybe you throw in some twelve factors or something. But maybe <laughs> maybe there's finally a coalescing of these terminologies uh, that that people. Are uh, using. I, I don't know. I think it's it's just as nebulous as ever. Um, mm. But I, I think given you know a minute or two of conversation, you can probably understand what people are doing. 
Um, it's that it's that day two stuff where things start to fall apart. You yeah. know, the people are like, "Oh yeah, we're all in on cloud native," and they're like, uh, "Where's my UI for managing this stuff?" And you're like, "No." <laughs> yeah, yeah. People want the people want their UI. Yeah, there was some some of the commentary that was in the usual line of like, uh, like I think it was the same person who was writing about Calico and what, Calico is like the networking th- layer, right? Yes. Can I can I insert a stock rant that I have, which is like, oh please do. I don't understand why we constantly need these overlay network things. Like, can't Cisco just fix that? Like, <laughs> like, like what? I don't, is, is, is it, is this one of those things where like Cisco just wants to charge a lot of money and then it'll just work, but no one wants to pay the money. So you end up writing all of these like workarounds and things to basically do like, like, like software defined networking. I, I think like, I barely understood what SDN was back then, but I think all of this kind of like network overlay stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about here, but like all the kind of like service mesh Istio, like all of that stuff is basically like, cause Cisco just doesn't do it for you already. Like, it's really weird that like it exists because like, yeah, that's how the internet works already, but no one wants to go update the MIBs or something like, <laughs> like it's just it's totally bizarre to me that like that is a thing that I mean even in Java we had to do that and then but then basically in the lamp stack era it was a lot more that was like the the full stack era where you actually did have to go like modify DNS and then the famous phrase that it's always a DNS problem came about right but then right. you have to scale it up to this ephemeral like uh, container cloud native stuff. And for some reason, you can't configure the routers fast enough. So you've got to add this. And also your developers don't have access to ne- raw networking stuff in a way that's uh, good. And then so in order to do like your, uh, con- you know, autom- auto configuring all of your, your IP addresses and all your nonsense so your ephemeral nodes here and there can talk with each other. And then also so that you can have like network isolation. And basically you end up like rebuilding the way that networking works in the software layer, which is just like, I mean, I guess that's what programmers do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. But it also seems like, I mean, there must have been meetings at Cisco and at Juniper where they were like, no, fuck hey. that shit. I'm not going to solve that problem. Let those assholes right. deal with it on their own. And you know what? They're going to solve the problem, and they're not even going to fucking charge money for it. So why do I care, right? Like, I, I'm not going to get involved in this thing that, one, is, like, nonsense, and, two, like, has no revenue for me. So wow. that's, that's, that's my rant. Uh, that 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 is the rant. It was it was fun watching you explore the whole space of, like, <laughs> how we got to where we are, uh, where essentially, you know, developers, they – could not get what they wanted from the networking layer. You know, they could not get the speed and flexibility uh-huh. and the, the vendors in the networking layer. Um, they kind of had a cross in the chasm kind of moment where they have to eat their, they have to, you know, kind of um, cannibalize themselves for the next thing that people actually want. And apparently they didn't really want to do that. And so now we're on this layer where, you know, VMware did it with, with, uh, uh, with, uh, like NSX, yeah. With NSX, you know, they're like, "Look, we have to deal with all you guys. We'll we'll provide this layer." Yeah. And then you know, the container people show up and they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to use that. We're going to do our own thing because we're going to be in the cloud and we don't mm, know what's going wow. on down there." 
right? I, I think, and, I think, I think, you know, maybe this, I need to develop this into one of one of my central theories is like, as far as I can tell, you know, 70 to 80% of all innovation in software comes from people not wanting to pay for shit. And, and like that now, <laughs> or, now, or, Kate, Kate, no, 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 Kate, 70 to 80% come from not wanting to talk to somebody else. Well, that's, that's good too. Yes. Yes. That, that maybe is 90% and a subset of that <laughs> is not wanting to pay for things. But you know, your, your example aside, right? Like NSX is very much so something you have to pay for and, and is, yeah. and, and, you know, on its own and, and currently is wildly successful. So that is an exception to the rule, but generally like, it's just like people don't want to do this, but I, I mean, I remember I used to back when I had the IT management podcast with uh, John Willis, uh, and he was discovering software defined networking. Towards the end of that, I just spent a lot of time asking him what SDN was, which I only barely—I guess I kind of understand it now. I just ranted about it. It's basically like you can just very quickly reconfigure network stuff. I mean, I know I'm vastly simplifying it, but but what was always confusing to me is like, so is it like there literally is no way to automate? configuring the regular network like you can't just like call out to a cisco box and just configure it like because technically that would have to be it wouldn't have to be but that would have to be why the cisco and juniper people aren't involved is like i don't know the sysadmin has to manually go do something like right i get I'm, i'm returning to the same thing but it's just really weird to me that like that's not taken care of and we have to go and we don't even have as far as i can tell we don't even have all the like kubernetes service mesh stuff really sorted out and so it's like gigantic multinational you know billions and billions of dollars enterprises are willing to wait like two to three more years to get huge productivity boosts because they don't want to reconfigure their cisco routers automatically i don't know it's it's a really weird situation Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> the 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 underlying hardware um was never easy enough to configure especially if you yeah. lived in any sort of heterogeneous environment. And so you got like tools that would try to handle, you know, handle that stuff for you, you know, some of it vendor, you know, provided by those vendors. And my rough understanding is you know the closer you are to that metal probably the more proprietary that stuff is and yeah uh, and i i you know speaking out of my ass here but that never stops us um if you're using something like a calico you're probably completely abstracted away from the network where yeah you know that underlying network is probably really dumb and a tool like Calico or, you know, whatever the, the various, you know, um, Kubernetes networking things is, it's doing most of the real work, you know, yeah, so yeah. you're running on top of a network and it's probably, you know, abstracting away a really dumb network. Whereas if you're probably using a tool like NSX, it's actually talking more to the network and, yeah. and probably there's some more hardware enforced, you know, networking there you know, like rules and, and, and access controls. That's, that's what I assume is happening. Um, and so if you are in a regulated environment that really, really cares about moving slow, uh, you want to, you're probably going to be paying for, you know, that more hardware interactive layer. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about it. And, and I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I feel like I'm right. 
Yeah, no, no, that that sounds like in the right area. Maybe someone can can explain this to us because it's just like, yeah. you know, I back back when SDN was a thing, I bought one of those. Uh, what's the publisher that puts this out? Pearson. There's one book that's about like network internet networking or TCP/IP stuff or whatever. And it was one of those books where like the first two pages got it, making a lot of sense. And then it was just like the authors, I guess, decide, like, we don't want anyone to be able to understand the rest of this book. So we're, <laughs> I think I read that book. Yeah, let's yeah. let's go down that path. And, and and it was it was classic, you know, this is like the the problem I have with like reading technical stuff and why I'm not good at math. Is it was classic like they don't ever actually tell you the use case for this. It's just like this cataloging of how to like, you know, draw a curve on a piece of graph paper and you're like, I don't this is so abstract, this thing that I would be doing. I have no idea why I would care, and so I can't really place it in a uh, in a context to uh, to to learn about. But it it would be like it'd be nice to know the 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 reasoning behind all of uh, all of this nonsense because it seems like yeah. it seems like seems like a lot of work for like ARP to reproduce ARPANET or something like that, <laughs> which which I don't think is 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 what we want to uh, get sorted out. But you know. No matter how many layers you have, let's say you got you got one layer, you might have a seven layer, you might even go up to twenty layers. I don't know. You know, if you add in like all the networking that's happening at the uh, at the JavaScript layer in a browser, we're talking we're talking lots of layers there, lots of monitoring that you have going on, a lot of, a lot of things flying around. Let's say yep. something goes wrong, and you need you need to track through all these layers. You only need to dig through the burrito. Uh, like, is there some tool you might use to help sort that out for you? Well, yeah, yes, there is, Cote. This episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their APM tools, Logly. No one wants to find out about a critical operation issue on Twitter. With SolarWinds Logly, you can spot issues before they affect users by setting up alerting that will notify you immediately when a problem arises. Why stop there? Take it further and proactively monitor your applications using the Logly charts and dashboards to help you visualize what matters and quickly spot patterns across dynamically changing and interconnected services, events, and issues. Connect the dots across your log data with Logly. Logly is scalable, cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, SDT listeners get a special 20% off your first yearly contract of Logly from now until December 31st, 2019, when you mention that you're a listener of SDT. New customers only, void where prohibited. To try it for free for 14 days, just go to logly.com slash SDT. If it logs, it can log to Logly. Well, we're lucky to have two ads, so uh, we can bust out with a geographic oddity. Now, as we men- sure can. As mentioned, uh, today is Thanksgiving. Is it today, 28th? No, not for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I've yeah. already moved on. I've already moved on to the future. That's right. That's right. It was a great Thanksgiving. Now, now to be our usual pedantic self, you prob- I've found that people v- generally know what thanks- that Thanksgiving exists. As, as we like to do nowadays in American culture, we like to totally unmask. I wouldn't say destroy, but we like to... Uh, unmask how things came about and abraham lincoln log cabin boy he came up with thanksgiving as a way to uh i think as a sort of like uh what would you call it not an armistice day but like it was it was a post civil war like hey that that was kind of a big deal uh sort of sort of holiday uh memorial day if you will and then i forget where someone someone trans transmuted it into uh something about pilgrims and some bullshit story with cornucopias and things like that, which back when we were kids in school, I think that was the beginning of like, whoa, this whole pilgrim story. Don't know what's going on there. Uh, But nowadays, every year, there's a ritual that you have to talk about how Thanksgiving is a manufactured holiday. 
And then you go, and then you go eat a bunch of uh, turkey, and you celebrate Thanksgiving. That I think maybe is a. Uh, are we in the twenty first century now, Matt Ray? That's right. Sure. It's it's always offset because because centuries are a zero based counting scheme, which is very confusing. But that's a very uh, hopefully a twenty first century American uh, viewpoint is all of our culture is made up and crafted. Now let's go have some turkey, right? You there just, you go. I think I think I could live with that. Anyways. Here's your geographic oddity. So uh, when I was back in Austin, uh, one of the things I was requested to get was some stovetop stuffing. Now, stovetop stuffing, like a lot of, of traditional American foods, comes in a small box, right? Yep. You got It comes in a box. You're going to have some, some breadcrumb things in there and a little, a little pa- packet of seasoning. This is going to be a white papery packet. On the inside, it's usually foil, which is very nice. Um, now, what is stuffing? Um, I was talking to some Scottish people earlier, and they had a name for – they called it something. But stuffing is basically like crumbles of bread. They called it like a sausage pot or something. But it's these crumbles of bread with like some thyme and sage, like those kind of – I mean I think of them as Thanksgiving seasonings. Celery, some nuts maybe. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of savory seasoning. And you might put and some – yeah, onion. Traditionally, you would put like some uh, turkey or chicken broth in there, or just maybe, or, or a... you jam it inside a turkey. Yes, yes, that is a very traditional thing. <laughs> that was another thing destroyed in our childhood: is don't don't put the stuffing in the turkey, which I think nowadays. <laughs> nowadays, That's how we all get salmonella. Yeah, I think nowadays people are like, mm, you know, all of life is basically just a risk curve analysis. So put the stuffing in the turkey; it's probably fine. If you're really concerned about dying, right. don't don't leave your house. Like I think is kind yeah. of the the consensus. So, anyways, uh, you get the you get these breadcrumbs and uh, you make a casserole, a thing out of it, and and it comes out and you basically like it's this this kind of gelatinous goop. It's basically like a cobbler that, that has no fruit and is not sweet and is made of uh, uh, crumbled bread, and it's delicious. Everyone likes yes. stuffing. There's big battles over bread stuffing versus cornbread stuffing. It's a very like you know stuffing is is ubiquitous now. I was asked to bring back some boxes of stovetop stuffing in anticipation of Thanksgiving. But the thing, the oddity that I'll get to is this is what what my wife Kim says. She says, you should always cook with stovetop stuffing no matter how gourmet you are. Because if you look at all the recipes, right, you go look at all the messaging boards for people who want to like cook stuff from scratch and whatever. They'll go over like, oh, here's how you would make stuffing from scratch and whatever. But really, stovetop stuffing is the most delicious, so just use that, right? So, like, I think even <laughs> – I think my theory is that if you were to go to, like, Cook's Magazine, they would have this lengthy article about making their own stuffing and the reflections. And the last paragraph would be like, I really enjoyed making this stuffing, and I'm never going to do it again because I'm just going to eat stovetop stuffing. And uh, so, so – yeah, so so stovetop was one of the few things I would actually cook when I was, you know, living that bachelor life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, it's uh, yeah, yeah. it's 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 one of it's it's oddly enough, it's it's like an American comfort food that we don't eat very much. Like the ultimate but, American comfort food, I think, is craft macaroni and cheese. Oh, like that I is that too. Yes, that's that's yeah. that's uh, you know, everyone else is revolted by this craft macaroni and cheese, rightly so. But just like as Americans, you're just like this is. This is basically uh, what I need to stay alive. This is 
It's the equivalent of... Because our healthcare is not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think like, you know, the way that the Dutch talk about, uh, I always forget the name, but they have this breakfast that's a piece of bread with some butter and they put chocolate sprinkles on it. And if you bring this up with a Dutch person, all of a sudden their entire face will like shift into this super happy place where they're just like, ah, yes, whatever the name of that dish is. And they'll just kind of like tell you about it and how great it is. And it almost is like this transcendental experience that they have. And that's the same reaction if you ask people about Kraft macaroni and cheese. The Americans will just Uh go like, ah, yes, there is a way to touch the hem of God, even get up and touch his belt, his or her belt, and that is Kraft macaroni and cheese. Australia's got fairy bread, which is you know, white <laughs> bread with butter and sprinkles. Mm. So that's that's your geographic oddity, uh, stovetop but, stuffing. I think if you want to experience, yeah. if you can't find a turkey or you're not going to make uh, sweet potatoes with melted marshmallows on top or you're not going to have cranberry in a can that has been shaped and nurtured by that wow. can, get yourself some stovetop stuffing and you can experience – I would say a good 20 to 30% of the glory of Thanksgiving. And that uh, yeah. that's going to satisfy you right there. Also, get your, your cards. also as, a, as a vague footnote, and then we'll move on to the uh, not vague, but short footnote. Uh, not that I ever have short footnotes. I'm like the David Foster Wallet of Podnos, podcast footnotes, which, which is exciting. I was reading one of his books recently. And uh, and he had a note where he was like, I was told by the editors of my previous book that I have too many footnotes. So this will be my last footnote in this book, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, I was I also was told by my wife that someone looked up why there's marshmallows on top of yams. And it was another fabricated American tradition by a marshmallow company, which I think uh-huh. to use our 21st century take on on things. Let's go have some yams with marshmallows on top now. Well, it's it's hard here in Australia. Uh, we so far, I mean, it's the day after Thanksgiving. We did not have our Thanksgiving meal. One of our kids is off at a camp, so so we're going to do ours tomorrow. Mm. Um, so you're saying no Thanksgiving leftovers? That's you're suffering not, through that. Well, you know, and the fact that two of the five of us are you know vegetarian, so that that uh, puts a damper on things. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah we'll be we'll be doing some sort of thanksgiving meal tomorrow um we have yet to find canned pumpkin which is essential uh, i also um, brought that back i brought I, I brought back four cans of libby's canned pumpkin you got it you got to have that <sighs> we we found it in a store once and it was like 19 dollars a can whoa <laughs> so we bought two cuz you know two for a, a pie yeah um huh. so yeah. uh I'll report back on how Thanksgiving in Australia goes. Previous years, um, it's been a muted affair. They're they're not big on on it, except for my geographic oddity is uh, Norfolk Island. Uh, we'll put this in the show notes. So you can go read about it. It's an island uh, in uh, off the coast of Australia. They celebrate Thanksgiving. What? Yeah, yeah. American. Uh, I don't understand. Norfolk Island was was founded by uh, some of the the. Um, Mutiny on the uh, the bounty uh, mutineers. Um, they met up with uh, the locals and escaped to uh, Norfolk Island eventually. And a whole bunch of like Americans coming over from the gold rush came to the Australian gold rush, s- stopped in Norfolk Island for supplies, stayed long enough to uh, establish Thanksgiving as a holiday there. Wow, that's amazing. That that that's that, a geographic oddity. I don't I don't really keep what they call a bucket list, but I'm gonna put a, that on my bucket list. Have Thanksgiving in Norfolk Island. That's uh, there you go. I think and, that, 
it's it's the last Wednesday of November because why not? Yeah. Do they put they they put uh they put like Vegemite in their turkey or something? Probably. Mm. Uh I, I think they have a hard time getting turkeys. Uh and probably a hard time getting pumpkins. Uh, so there's a lot of bananas and uh <laughs> yeah. and seafood. I, 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 w- I was I was talking to a New Zealander who uh was was in Amsterdam and, and I was like, Oh, I had I had I you know, I had some Marmite recently and she was she just nodded her head and she's like, That's that's from England. I was like, Oof. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really I really stepped in some uh some poop here. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, Man, you Australians sure are testy. Oh yeah, no. I know to only joke about that with, with on this podcast. I don't actually joke in yeah, I don't think I know any 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 Kiwis well enough to uh, razz them about that. But uh, you know, you know. Speaking of being notified, let's say you know there you got you need to be notified of things. There's something that we want to recommend to you in a rare ad read by me, and that is that this episode is also brought to you by PagerDuty. In an always-on world, teams trust PagerDuty to help them deliver a perfect digital experience to their customers every time. With PagerDuty. Teams spend less time reacting to incidents and more time building for the future. From digital disruptors to Fortune 500 companies, over 12,000 businesses rely on PagerDuty to identify issues and opportunities in real time and bring together the right people to fix problems faster and prevent them from happening again. We're like the central nervous system for a company's digital operations, so we can analyze digital signals from virtually any software-enabled system and help you intelligently pinpoint issues like outages, as well as capitalize on opportunities, empowering teams to take the right real-time action. To see how companies like GE, Vodafone, Box, and American Eagle Outfitters rely on PagerDuty to continuously improve their digital operations, visit pagerduty.com. And uh, you can put an HTTPS colon slash slash in front of that if, if you're into that, that kind of thing. But uh, th- thanks to PagerDuty and, uh, you know, all of our great sponsors. It's always nice that we have uh, we have help out from them. Yeah. Also, it looks like I need to enroll in the How to Speak Properly uh, school to get help out for nice. myself. You're doing great. Um, Thank you. But Th- speaking of help out, mm. <laughs> speaking of help out, uh, there's a, a pretty good uh, interview with um, – uh, the VP of product management from Google talking about uh, Anthos, you know, Google's bid for, for Kubernetes in the, uh, the enterprise. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's right up, uh, right up our alley. Um, that, that was a, that I, was I, a, a great interview by Tim Anderson what? at the register. He only does good work. I love that guy. I met him once and he's, he's one of these reporters who like actually programs and uh, I, I love his stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I was uh, I realized I interrupted you, so sorry about that. that, that I try I try to keep that at a minimum, uh, but yeah, it was good because I felt like it was one of the uh, you know it's very concise, so it's not detailed. But I think I think I finally understand what Anthos is now after uh, reading through it. It kind of makes sense, and he even uh, he even like gives the the kind of skeptical eye towards uh, Google stuff, so he, he's not all gaga about it or goo goo. I, that didn't work ah, out. Go-go. I'm going to edit that, that out. That works out. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's that's the content we crave. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah. The uh, the Anthos, you know, it is the kind of evolution of their on-prem GKE. You know, the the four major components are um, the managed Kubernetes, 
you know, uh, the GK engine. Um, the service mesh uh, that is, you know, it's Istio under the covers with uh, some enterprise goodness. And uh, they've got a configuration tool on top of it that handles how your workloads, kind of a, a cloud management platform kind of UI thingy. And mm-hmm. then they, you know, slurp in their marketplace of third-party services to run on top of this. Uh, and I don't know, does it say it uses Helm? I'm sure maybe they got that thing. I don't thing, remember but reading that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but essentially, you know, they're bringing that, their marketplace on-prem for you. Um, and so, you know, they're, uh, they're trying to, you know, go after the, the enterprise with this thing. And, you know, they talk about working with, uh, working with the traditional hardware partners that, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna want to meet with. Um, but, uh, I don't know it, maybe it'll work. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've been, you know, as I want to do, I'm spending time with my enterprise customers and, I feel like this stuff is moving way too fast for, you know, 90% of them. Um, you know, no offense to my, the folks I work with, but you know, this stuff's hard and it moves really fast. And I understand why you don't want to manage it mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. And, and that, that was, that was one of the interesting, well, one of the interesting things uh, highlighted in this interview. And, and it was, it's fun reading this cause I could totally like see, this interview going on like like i'm sure i'm sure tim was there like yeah but but what is it and then he probably had to ask that like five <laughs> times uh but and and you know he also gets to uh essentially like yes there's some proprietary which i i don't know if that means closed source or open source but usually proprietary means closed source but there's some there's some secret sauce in there from google to make make all this stuff work together which which is like totally cool but like not something that usually is said so baldly uh, by anyone, right? Because you want to be all open source and industry standard and and all that stuff. But so yeah. that's cool. Well, I mean, it's kind of to be expected, right? Something yeah, has yeah, to yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, you can open source that if you want. Nobody, nobody cares about your open source glue, right? Yeah, I mean, so, something's got to be in there to make all that shit actually work. Which, which, uh, you know. Again, it's fine. But one one of the the other thing that I thought was interesting that I haven't really thought about much is the uh, some of the terminology. What 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 was the name of the uh, the product manager? Uh, I, I just I don't remember Jennifer Lynn. I very Jennifer very Lynn. really remember anyone's name. Uh, but uh, anyways, she she used terminology a couple of times that was that was interesting. And she says, uh, let's see, it's like blah blah blah. People have kicked the tires of Kubernetes, but. But when they are serving their customers, they want an SLL, an SLO with us, right? So there's mm-hmm. right, we got we got some SRE talk, and then she's also like, "Hey, so forth and so on, blah blah blah." They want the operational domain expertise of our engineers and SREs. And so the reason this stood out to me, right, is in a um, a traditional on-premise licensed software conversation, even in like Red Hat land or anywhere, you would be providing support, right? So. You would have support that you right. were providing, whereas what what she's talking about here, and I'm probably reading way too much into it, is this this different perspective of we're not providing you support so much as like a service of running stuff for you. Even no matter where you might be running it, you get the sense of basically like um, what was it? Uh, where where Tasty Meat Pauls used to work at a Blue Box or whatever, right? Blue Box, we're, right? Yeah, right. We're, we're we're like actively managing. We're coming in through some VPN and we're going to manage stuff for you. Which, uh, 
Sure. That's that's something I, you know, new, but th- I might be making that up. But no, no, no. I mean, it's definitely something we're starting to see more and more of where this stuff is hard. And, you know, you can try to fiddle with this stuff and break it and open, you know, who knows how many more support tickets. Or, you know, we can come in and give you, a, you know, a white box installation and or not white box, white glove, you know, installation and make sure that everything's working to spec, teach you how to operate it and, you know, come in and help you upgrade it. And, you know, maybe that costs a little bit more, but, you know, if you're using the software and you're happy with it, you're a lot more likely to, to, you know, renew when, when the, you know, the contract time comes. So I think, I think this is the way a lot of this on-prem stuff has to be, right? It's so, it's so hard. I mean, just, you know, straight up, it's hard to get all these pieces, whether it's, you know, how are you going to sort out that networking? How are you going to sort out the, you know, the container workloads that are running on it? How are you going to keep up to date with Kubernetes, uh, releasing every six months or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it's, you have to have more engagement with your vendors and, you know, there'll be people who, who can do it themselves because either they're big enough and, you know, fast enough or, you know, it's mission critical to them. But the rest of us need to go to, you know, we need to go to the cloud, which, you know, it's all somebody else's problem. Or we need to have this, you know, quasi managed service offering that, you know, you're going to pay a premium for it. But, you know, the vendor's job is to, like, you know, give you something that you want to pay for. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a story. Uh, well, well, first of all, let's see if I remember this. But, like, here, so here's the explanation. According to Director of Product Management Jennifer Lynn, there are, open quote, four major components, close quote. And I only say that because that's a very, like, particular journalistic thing there, right? Like, good old Tim is like, I don't want to take responsibility for saying this is, like, the summary of it, right? Like, four major components, whatever that means, in Anthos. These are, it's a good bullet list here, the managed Kate, Kate Service GKE. Which then yeah. I guess that means it can't be on premise. I don't know. The service mesh based on Istio, the Anthos configuration manager, and the Anthos market of third party services. Now, uh, you know, if you threw in some developer stuff there, you know, then then you got a stew going. Uh, you could basically have, <laughs> have have that all sorted out there. Which give it time, give it time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, oh, I forgot what my my other digression was going to be. But you know, so there, there's there's a there's a, a good explanation of of uh, what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, it it does. Like you know, there's also a, a, an update to the Datadog container stuff, and I think the figure in there was like, let's say most. I don't know what most means, but most people are running a version of Kubernetes that's like you know several versions back, usually around uh, ten to eighteen months old or something, which. I think shows your point that it's uh, upgrading it always a uh, always always a hassle. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and you know I, the other thing is like uh, this is this is what I was going to go on about before the bullet points uh, earlier is uh, I've just forgotten it again though. See, this is the way this is a problem when you have footnotes. But now I've remembered. <laughs> this is like a live live play by play into my brain. Now it see you know this reminds me. What you're talking about where uh, it's hard and people would just move to pu- to public cloud, right? There's there's this weird culture acceptance that like if we move to public cloud 
everything would just work together because we're no longer responsible for mucking around with it and sort of like yep. making decisions, right? We've we've centralized and standardized IT and we see why that is so awesome in 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 mm -hmm. public cloud, right? But then you go back to their own data centers that they're running and they're like, "Whoa, we can't do things like that here." Right. Like we can't centralize and standardize things. And in fact, for whatever reason, we have to do the opposite. Now, historically, you have to do the opposite because you have all these acquisitions and mergers and like because people didn't care. But it's almost like, you know, it's 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 like this weird uh, what's an analogy? We talk a lot about food. It's like this weird like diet thing of like if I just bought all of the right pans and cleaned out my refrigerator. I would I would be in this different context and I would start to be more healthy, just like if I was in the public cloud. Yeah, it's all about the pants. Yeah, whereas really you could just be like, or you could just start eating healthy and not do that. Uh, but it reminds me of like a story I tell every now and then, kind of at the app later, where I was talking with a big a big airline once, and um, uh, I was like, oh, I fly on your airline a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I hear you talking about how you've got a lot of work to modernize things, but like I use your app all the time and that app's great. Like over the past few years, it has new features and it works all the time. And like, it's, in it does stuff that's great. And mm -hmm. the, and the person I was talking to was like, oh yeah, but that's the mobile team. And he's like, you know, yeah, they're, they're the over there. Team. Yeah. They're over there doing whatever crazy stuff they're up to. And like, you know, my reaction was like, well, maybe you should do what they're doing, right? Like if, if yeah. they if they like have an app that's good and they can actually do an experience that I like on an airline, like maybe they should be the way you do everything. <laughs> and But it is just like there's this, this like, you know, like, oh, they're great and wonderful and now I'm going to go back to my terrible Morlockian existence. And it's... <sighs> It yeah. always makes me wonder, like, so why don't you change your terribleness instead of, like, wallowing in it? Yeah. Why but, don't you change your terribleness? But, you know, someone's <laughs> got to pay us the big bucks in our day jobs, Matt Ray. And uh, I think I think that's that's uh, that's what we got to look for. Always good good money in uh, in muck. Speaking of that, here's what I wanted to close out with before we get to recommendations. Now, I don't pay attention to the memes very much or whatever, but what's the deal yes. with this uh, with this Tesla truck? What's going on there? <laughs> Is that a real thing? Uh, yeah, it's a real thing apparently. Um, so so uh, Elon Musk uh, last week announced they have a new Cybertruck, which you know twelve year old me is kind of excited about the name. Um, but uh, yeah, it's their you know their latest electrical vehicle. Um, it looks kind of angular and uh you know it uh, kicked off a tremendous amount of internet memeing and scorning and you know people pontificating about it and uh you know apparently it worked here we are uh giving them lots of free advertising mm. and but but uh, is this that, is this like truck like good well it's you know a year and a half or two years away from production so oh, sure it's great it's yeah. the best thing ever fuck that shit right i'm, I'm uh, tired of betas <laughs> well yeah yeah um it's got great specs the price is is good it just you know it looks kind of you know uh different and uh mm. you know i think uh adam and jacob had some good tweets about you know 
it's actually a good marketing scheme to go really different because the truck market is very established and that's true you know if you came out with something that looked like everything else well people wouldn't know that you had a tesla now and now there there is there is a counter example which you you used to have firsthand experience with if i remember and that is the pt cruiser that was that was uh, that was a very very different very different looking thing, and I think uh, well, yeah, 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 I don't know yeah. if it survived the, that. The Pontiac Aztec, the uh, the PT Cruiser, Pontiac was onto something there. Um, mm. They put out a bunch of weird looking cars, and I think now they're out of business. So you know, whatever. <laughs> um, In search of excellence, strikes again. Yeah. In all fairness, the the, the PT Cruiser was a hand me down. It was not. Uh, it was not my choice to have. Don't, it, don't worry, I'm not. A, I'm not judging a, you, Matt Ray. Yeah. It was a fine car. It had a good run. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think there's something to be said. If, if you're trying to get into a really crowded market, you put something out that's really different. And, you know, the, the, the truck specs as far as, like, towing and, and power and all that, they're, they look really good, better than a lot of the competition. The price point is reasonable, you know, for all what right. people are paying for fancy trucks. And uh, I'm sure it'll do well. And then, of course, you know, they sold uh, two hundred thousand, you know, or you know, people put down pre-orders. So, uh, you know, they got the twenty million dollars for free uh, by putting on a, a press conference. So, I see. Uh, yeah. So, so it's basically like a like a Kickstarter sort of thing. So, uh, <laughs> so basically, it, I, I should ask for for Christmas in twenty twenty two is is what I'm looking for. Uh, get, get myself a truck. I, you don't really strike me as a truck guy, though. I know there's a, there's always a start to the the third or fourth phase of my life. I can just be a, a truck guy when I when I fade off into uh, the Texas countryside, never to be seen for again, except yep. through uh, Every, my dead drops. All, all the other uh, gentlemen ranchers will have their uh, Silverados or F-150s, and you'll be out there in your your Tesla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be great. That, that far into the future, with uh with the the hillbillies, I'll be living around. They'll be like, boy. You remember the purity of that Trump presidency? Sure was a <laughs> sure was a different time. I don't know what the hell all these rascals are doing nowadays. It's just gone to pot over there in Washington. Used to be uh, used to be great. And like yeah, that'll be good stuff. They made well, America great again. Yeah, <laughs> we had to do it again and again and again. Uh, well, we got we uh, Brandon has 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 written down wrote down he's typed in some things for us as far as feedback so yeah. we apparently sent some stickers to chris in pittsburgh he says yep. thanks much for the show look forward to every week and a great mix of strategy kubernetes parenting meet and travel i think that's actually from last week uh, you know what Isn't but it? we did that this show so. oh yeah yeah <laughs> and then and then uh also uh ashish from charlotte says he loves the show uh i think we also read last week but just to emphasize that's that's what you get if you if you email us at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and email your mailing address, then uh, you can get some some stickers. Now there's a bunch of conferences going on. If you yep. go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash two oh seven, you can see them listed there, but in the interest of time, we'll jump right in to recommendations. Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this week? <sighs> well oh, um, sounds like a regretful like one. <laughs> well, it is, right? So I it's both positive and negative, right? I mean, part of me wants to be against the uh, the whole uh, commercialization of everything, but uh, part of me likes a good deal. <laughs> so it's it's Black Friday, y'all. Um, 
so I'm uh, getting getting uh, some some shopping done for for the Christmas season. I uh, my kids are are getting uh, a PlayStation Four. Um, moving into the uh, four four or five years ago future. Oh, let me. I got to ask uh, your advice now. Yes. My son Cormac, all he said he wants for any gift for the rest of eternity is like a an Xbox or a PlayStation. He's nine years old. Matt Ray. Yep. Yes. Do I invite this demon into our family? Well, so I've already got an Xbox 360. Um, mm. Do you have a Switch? That might be a more... No, he's got an iPad. And I think about every day I tell him that I want to destroy his iPad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, great parenting on my part. Good way, oh. to, way to model good behavior. But it's just, you know, I just, uh, you know, these kids and their, their video games, I wish I could just tell him to get his nose out of a book. That would make me feel a lot better, but like, because yeah. uh, you know he does the thing where he's just like, "Hey, you got to turn your iPad off." He's like, "Okay, okay, one second. and then and then you know you're watching him and you're like, "Listen, I'm not dumb. I know how these computers work. It's just like you were sitting there doing nothing in your Pokemon. Your dude was just standing there, and now you've launched a whole new thing, which you have to complete <laughs> after I said you after I told you not to do it. The right move would have been like, I don't actually need to go into that gym and battle these things. I can just stop. But Coach, you know, yes, you, you gotta you gotta turn on the screen time, and then they, he the kids can argue with the the timer saying, you know, this app is turning off in four but, minutes. But this my kid, my kid, my kid is too smart. He knows that that is just arbitrary policy that my wife and I have enforced. So he he you know asks us to uh, well well uh, then, to then, then you it. hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah and the time runs out and then he comes and he's like i need more time it's like it's you're not logged in i, I know i know i know but then i feel guilty i'm like man i would have hated that when i was a kid but i guess that's that's what it's like to be a parent is you don't always get to be the fun person or, no. or something anyway okay so you're gonna get a you're gonna get a a, 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 a ps4 a new, pro a, PS4 yeah, Pro. Price dropped a hundred. The price dropped a hundred bucks from yesterday, so that's what I'm getting. So now, does does Pro mean that you can like do CAD CAM on it for oil exploration or something like that? <laughs> uh, I like to think that I'm future proofing my purchase. I see. If, you know, if you if you're spending you know two hundred dollars and for two fifty or whatever I'm spending, mm. you know, I can get it to support you know the next generation of TV and be better for the next you know whatever. <sighs> that that's what I'm doing. I'm yeah. spending a little bit more uh, for for a little bit more. Hopefully, it works. Yeah, you know that's uh, I I like getting a good deal. That's that's a, that's another cherished. No wonder Black Friday is on Thanksgiving because that's a cherished American tradition. Getting a good deal. Even oh well, it, they, even they, if you don't they, need they it, they brought it over here. You know, it's a uh, Black Friday in Australia because you know they've been they've been shopping for you know all the Christmas sales started three weeks ago. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was noting before we were recording that in the Netherlands I see signs every now and then for Black Week. And I think like, ooh, almost nailed it. Just getting <laughs> getting close. Getting close. Next year. Next year we're gonna figure it out over here. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a whole other t- we'll, we'll just avoid that topic because I live there, Matt Ray. I don't want to uh yes. I don't I don't I don't want I don't wanna like, you know, mess with Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas, big deal over there. He gives yeah. you this candy that's disgusting called Pepernoten that you would never want to eat. People seem to like it. That's great. He throws it at your door, leaves a trail of it, and uh, it's adorable. Like uh, my kids, they they put their shoes in front of the fireplace, and every night if they remember, 
they sing the song about Pepper Noten and another one, I think, about Sinterklaas and maybe even Zwart Pete. And then in the morning, mysteriously, they get some candy or some other thing or maybe some leftover uh, swag in their shoe that suddenly Zwart Pete has gotten and uh, leaves them, which which is fun. We saw we saw Sinterklaas and two Zwart Pete's in the hospital the other day. And boy, it was sort of like mentioning the uh, the bread with sprinkles on it. All the adults that were there, they were just like out of their mind. They were like, "Oh, it's Sinterklaas," and they got their pictures with him. And it's just, it's good, good stuff. I don't quite understand the difference between a Sinterklaas and a Santa Claus, but I think there is some sort of like cultural distinction or fairy tale distinction between the two, which. Um, I don't know. We'll see if 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 uh, if I end up knowing about that. Well, my recommendation is uh, uh, so I I like I I always feel like I'm probably going to say her name wrong, but you know I think I recommended Joan Didion's or Didion's uh, other book, uh, what's called something about Bedlam, her first collection of essays, and I finished listening to, in the Brandon style, her second collection of essays called The White Album. Now. Why it's called the White Album, I'm not sure. It doesn't mention the White Album anywhere. I guess it's because it's about that era of time. It's essays from like the late 60s and maybe 71 or 72. But it's another uh, fantastic collection. She writes like great essays. I think this one has uh, probably there's there's what I imagine to be. I haven't gone to research this, but uh, it must be a very controversial essay on like uh, feminism at the time, uh, which is kind of interesting to 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 read from her or listen to uh but yeah there's uh let, let me look this up the, the audio version that you would get an audible i can't look up who actually reads it but the person who reads it has this awesome perfect deadpan way of reading it that like fits her tone and style really well i was i was playing a uh i played this short uh essay she has on georgia o'keefe to kim and kim at she's like totally seriously was like is that is that a robot reading this? And like, I hadn't thought about it, but like, it's, it's like the the way this this uh, voice actress reads it is just like perfect. And I started listening to her uh, her next book, uh, Salvador, which is just like a basically a book length essay about uh, San Salvador or, or the wars down there. And they have someone else reading it, and it's just a little off. She's too non robotic. But uh, you should check that out. Go listen to it in Audible, the uh, the White Album by Joan Didion. It's a uh, it's a good good uh good book she's like she's like if hunter thompson calmed the fuck down and like actually stayed on topic and like spent time working on like quality and and uh what, kind of artistry of of what he was what, doing what, what how's her uh peyote consumption i think she's very low on the drug consumption she always she she always seems to have a bottle of bourbon or scotch just okay. at at arm's length ready at hand to go in fact in the salvador one she was she's leaving the she went deep into the uh deep i mean as she said it takes an hour to fly across the country so like how deep is deep but she went into uh into the jungle or the country and there was uh there was a monastery there not a monastery what would you call it if there's some nuns and a priest there was like you know a, a catholic outpost uh, and, uh, there was a couple of Irish people there and, uh, an American nun and she was visiting them and she was like, I swore that I would go back and I would bring, you know, like some, uh, some clean socks for them and some, uh, some medic medicine for them to use and a bottle of scotch. And I was like, yep, that's her. Always, always keeping an eye on like, you got to have your, uh, brown liquor around there. But I haven't, she ta- writes a lot about other people doing drugs, but I have, I don't think I've actually read about her doing any any drugs other than the uh the booze. So, 
who knows i should seek that out that would be a fun essay uh to, to read her take on that she would probably just be like her essay would probably be like yeah i did some drugs i mean i don't feel like there's a reason to give a fuck anyways uh still like shit just happens whatever i gotta go talk to some hollywood person like that's that kind of that's my summary so far of, of her tone is just like ah people humanity kind of fucked up let's yeah. go have a drink uh but she does a really good job of it and uh complains every now and then well as always this has been uh software defined talk if you want to get the show notes for this episode you can go to software defined talk.com slash 207 now also you can go there and figure out how to join our slack so you can tell us what to deal with oyster sauces uh, other things like that you can be like why why does cisco not fix this problem and what about juniper aren't they involved somehow maybe huawei's got it nailed and uh, they just can't really, like, uh, sell here in the U.S. So we have that American bias where we <laughs> talk about stovetop stuffing all the time. But if we could just buy Huawei stuff, Kubernetes that wouldn't would need to exist. It, it would just – everything would be dandy. Uh, yeah. Or not. But you should join the Slack channel. We're also on the Twitter and the Instagram and the LinkedIn all over the place. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Most people have a three-ton air conditioner, and you've got a 20-ton. Can you, can you explain to me what a 20-ton air... ton air unit is big enough to cool that Kmart store right there. And the only reason I've got a 20-ton is because I got a good buy on it in Paris, Texas. A store went out of business, and it was a brand-new unit, and they just practically gave it to me. And I said, well, this sort of cooled my house, but I didn't know it would bring it down to 12 below zero. But we did find out real quick it would.